Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. I am your co-host, Ken Cameron, and I'm here with my co-host, Russell Stratton. Hello, Russell. Hi, Ken. It's good to be back with you again. And it's great to be back here with our listeners. We left off two weeks ago talking about the Viking helmet, one of the four hats that we use to uh, as a metaphor for different kinds of employees' behavior in the workplace. And we use hats, just as a gentle reminder to our listeners, we use the idea and the metaphor of hats because hats is a behavior that you can change, just as you can take off a hat and put on a different hat. We try to encourage you to think of your employees as having a behavior that can change just as easily as taking off a hat, as opposed to trying to think of your employee as damaged individuals with whom there is something that is effing wrong with them and you just need to effing get them out the door. So it's a more generous, more empathic way to think about your employees. And one of the four hats that we love to talk about is the biking helmet. And we often talk about this hat first in our workshops because it's the most obvious. It's the biggest. It's got the biggest horns. Uh, people look ridiculous when they're wearing it. Uh, people look ridiculous when they're acting as if they're wearing a Viking helmet. And it's the kind of thing that we like to, it's the kind of behavior that you can identify most readily in the workplace. And I'm glad the Vikings are back, you know. I mean, you know, it's such a, it's always one of my favorite analogies about four hats. And we've got to say the effing Vikings are back, just like in real life. They've already raided your monastery, disappeared for a raiding season, and just as you've replenished your stock, they're back to do the same thing all over again in a new raiding season. So I'm glad we managed to put a second episode in um, on the Viking helmet. I can tell, Russell, that you are stalling in an attempt to try to try to identify what's the perfect story for us. So before I give you any more time, Russell, cast your mind back into the mist of time. When were you wearing a Viking helmet? Okay, so I can think of a time when uh, this was back uh, before I started or just started doing some of my own consultancy work, but I was still working for uh, uh, the UK Customs Service. Okay, so I'm going to ditch the dirt on here uh, rather than say an organisation that I used to work for by just coming straight out with it. I was working for the UK Customs Service and had done for a number of years. I, I worked as part of the uh, learning and development team, uh, national team uh, that had uh, sections geographically dispersed around the the United Kingdom. And uh, we revolved for a variety of different learning interventions for um, our organisation of about 23,000 people, particularly in the areas of um, organisational culture, uh, diversity and um, inclusion, and uh, leadership development being a a big part of that. Um, And at that time... Uh, we were about to be merged with the was then stood the in, the inland revenue or the the revenue agency of uh, the UK, and this was a decision that had been made politically. It was made by the then um, Chancellor Gordon Brown, who decided it would be a good idea if you merge both of the revenue collecting departments together, um, because as you said, they both collect revenue. Hey, what what could go wrong? They're both the same, and. Um, this is what was what was what was going to happen. wasn't anybody having any 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 say in it, but uh, um, it had been something I've been resisted. I just did a little bit of backstory here that the the, the previous uh, head of customs and excise and the previous head of the inland revenue, uh, when this had been muted in the past for the maybe four or sort of three four years before about closer working, actually disliked each other so much that they refused to meet in the same room. 
and they would send a sort of uh, an inquiry really on their behalf to go and uh, negotiate and they just like they just despised each other they wouldn't sit in the same room so you can imagine across this backdrop you suddenly get this one show that hey, no no we're just going to go ahead and merge these two organizations so uh, that's what happened. So the, the, very much the, uh, the the Viking response from uh, from me personally, um, which was pretty much shared by a lot of employ- employees within the former customs um, uh, domain, uh, was this feeling that there been there been this takeover. It wasn't something that you had any control over. Your your organization was taken over for an organization of about 80,000 people. The whole management structure where we worked had all been taken out from customs and been replaced by a manage, by a revenue management structure. If we now go back to last uh, uh, fortnight's podcast, uh, it was a bit like William the Conqueror had just come and taken out all the English nobles and replaced them with Norman nobles. It was very much like that. Oh, um, okay. I thought I was looking to it as an analogy of the merging of two Viking tribes, a relatively peaceful merge, intermarriage of, of two Viking leaders and, and their families, and then merging the two tribes for shared resources and shared reading activities. This was the exact opposite. This was, well, this was like you say, the conquering uh, army came in and-, and in, that, in that part of the business. Now, obviously, depending on where you sat in the business- um, would perhaps depend where your experience were. You know, if you were in a different office and perhaps you had were an ex-revenue member of staff and now had uh, new customs managers, you may have felt the same thing. But you know, the customs uh, um, department was split up. Some of it went to the police, some of it went to the border agency, some of it sort of stayed in there as part of revenue, what was now called revenue and customs. Um, but you also noticed this, um, you know, feeling that, Everything that had been there be passed, in the past had changed suddenly, virtually overnight, new leadership, uh, new logos, new processes, procedures. You were going to adopt, certainly where we were, lock, stock and barrel, the revenue way of doing things. This was okay. how, this how it was. Now, culturally, just as you mentioned, is it like two families coming together? No, because although there was this idea that they, or they both collect revenue, they must be similar, the cultures were very different. And I know this would resonate with you, Ken, with your work on uh, culture with organisations. The inland revenue had a culture, if I you know, broke it down simplistically, that was very much like a firm of accountants. So you can imagine a whole firm of accountants over here, 80,000 of them. And over here with... Um, customs had a culture that was some sort of hybrid between uh, the Royal Navy, uh, the police, and civil service. So you can imagine you've put together a firm of accountants with the Navy and said, now go and and work together. And and at one of the early meetings that I went to, sitting there representing the custom side, it was described by one of my colleagues from the revenue who said, I see this very much as this is the gentleman of the revenue joining with the cowboys from customs. So um, just, to, just to put a little bit in terms of the cultures of the organisations were very, very different. So back into the way, what was the issue around, you know, for me, well, it was a lot was the feeling that everything that you had previously done now counted for nothing you could have we had a very successful um, leadership program that was run in conjunction with the uh, business so it was one of those real partnerships between 
um, HR learning in the center and operational businesses regionally. Uh, and I have to say, yeah, I had a vested interest in it. It was something that I'd worked heavily with in getting up and running. It was fairly cost effective in terms of uh, training costs, had been successful, uh, well thought of by the operations side that people bought into it. Operations managers were happy to send their people on this course. Pretty much overnight, the revenue had a similar type of program, but it tended to be delivered by external consultants, much more expensive. Um, and it, just, it was like there wasn't a conversation. It was just like, yeah, we've got two programs. We won't be using yours anymore. We're going to use ours. So there was that point that, okay, so everything we'd worked on for three years has now been just basically tossed aside, won't be used. Um, and also typical sort of the um, – you know, expertise that people have, the professional qualifications you've had. So, well, we didn't get any of our people to do that. They didn't. They didn't take a, uh, you know, a master's degree in human resource management as you had. We didn't require them to do that. So, we're not really bothered whether you have that or not, or whether you have, you know, the experience you have or what you've done or who you've worked with. Uh, we just want you to do the way the way that we now want you to do it. So I think there was a pit around that, you know, devaluing feeling of what had gone past, the the lack of any discussion about what was being, you know, um, being done. But also a part, it was what I found it was interesting was the you know, small things that suddenly became important. I remember for me, but I know I wasn't the only person here. There, there, were, there were certainly more than Vikings and just me. Um in the, in the customs service, you had, if you were an officer of customs and excise, you had a commission on the sort of parchment paper uh, that was signed by the commissioners of customs and excise on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. It was folded into a nice little wallet. It used to be leather wallet, then it came to sort of more of a sort of cheap faux leather. Um, but it, it outlined all of your powers which were things like, you know, you could call upon the police and the military and civil civil powers to assist you in doing your duty. Now, most people in their whole career never drew out this, you know, this commission and said, I am a commissioned officer in customs and excise, ever had to. But you, you had it and you were supposed to carry it with you in case you were ever challenged on, well, how can you have access into our premises? Do you have a warrant? And you said, well, the police need a warrant. I don't because I have a commission, Okay. The revenue didn't have anything like this because they never needed to do it because they the, the way they structured their work was different. They didn't tend to visit people on their premises or in their homes. It would be they were called to their office. So they said, well, we don't need these anymore. Just hand them in and we'll shred them. So, you know, the thought of, well, actually, no, this is a commissioned document. This is this is from the – virtually even said touched by the hand of Her Majesty herself – and, and and this is just going to be what you're going to shred this. Well, it doesn't mean anything. This has been for a, a hundred years. People have had these commissions, and now it's just suddenly cast aside like an old sock with a hole in it. Um, and so they was just refused to give it back. And actually, I found that there were so many people who just refused to it. And I remember my then boss, who was um, a former revenue guy, a decent guy, came up and said, "I've come to collect your commission." I remember looking at him and said, "We're well, not having it." I'm not, I'm not giving it back. Well, it's legally not, doesn't mean anything now. It has no legal value. And I said, well, I don't care. I'm not giving it back. And this was being replicated throughout the country of people saying they're not going to hand these over, uh, which was which was quite amusing. Just the look on people's face was like, okay, you're not going to give it back? I, I'm really dying to know, Russell, do you still have this parchment? I, I, I still have it. I still have it at home. 
Um, my wife still has hers. She 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 left customs before I did, but uh, she still has hers. And and pretty much everybody that I know who worked for the former department still has that. In fact, there is a Facebook group called um, you know former members of HM Customs Next Size where people one of the things people do will share that sort of memorabilia of, of aspects of their uniform for those that were uniform staff. You know the the badges they had very much in a similar way that people have done who were in the military. Um, and so it was you know um, the one thing you the one thing you can't do uh, to can't join if you want to come into that that group is you can't be an ex revenue member. <laughs> just won't let anybody in. But yeah, but it, but it was interesting how strongly that feeling not only over work issues, which is why I say about you know well you know my the program I helped design has just been discontinued overnight, but wanting to have back you know that dot piece of paper that meant a lot. To people, if you'd asked me two years before, would that matter? People would have not thought, "Oh, yeah, that's something I'm never going to part with." But at the time, when somebody wanted to take it away from you, it was like you can't have it. So they came to a compromise in the end that everybody could do this. You could keep it. They would come and like stamp cancelled on the outside of it because some people actually had them framed and, and hung them up in their house or put them in their office or something like that. I never did, but I, in fact, I never even had my cancelled because I just didn't ever bring it back in. And I think Chris at the time just got so fed up with asking for it that he just left it alone because he realised he wasn't going to get anywhere with me or any of the others who just refused to bring them back in. Um, and and there was no there was no nefarious part about it. They weren't trying to pretend to be something you weren't and using them illegally. It's just I did not want to hand that document over. Well, Russell, thank you for that brief response to question one <laughs> on our questionnaire. Um, let's move on to question two, shall we? Although well, I think you've, you've already. I think we covered question two. Our, our, our astute listeners will realize we've already covered it. The second question here is, um, so remember that a Viking is afraid of change and they're lashing out because their old gods are dead or dying. So the, the question in on the worksheet here is, what were your old gods that were passing away? And you've you've really kind of talked quite a bit about some of the many of the things that were passing away that you that you at the time that you relished and hung on to and that were causing you to put on your Viking helmet. But I want to ask a probing question around question number two here. Russell, if we look at it this way, that the to build on our analogy of old gods. So if we look at all of the things that you've shared with us think of those aren't the gods those are the trappings those are the, the those are the um the pieces of the ritual you know it, it, if we think of it in a modern um, religious context like being in say in the catholic church those are the vestments that the priest wears the cup that the priest uses the the the, the, the trappings of the religion tell me if you can boil it down to one thing what is the old god that is passing away that you yours you were reluctant to give up when you put on your Viking helmet? I I think what it was is that there was even though people wouldn't have it was interesting people didn't recognise it at the time until it was being taken away was the felt the feeling that there really was that sort of camaraderie and people working together it it meant something it meant something to have that job. And it wasn't the you know, it was a corner office or your know, nameplate. It just it it was an important job to have, and it meant it meant something. And it was the I think of all of those elements were the seeming perceived devaluing of the job that that that, that you had. A bit like well, every, yeah, everything you did in the past doesn't matter. This is the brave new world that we've come into. And it was a bit of licking there saying, but what, what we had that 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 was that was important. What we did, 
And now what? Now it isn't important again. It's not important. Doesn't value. Doesn't mean anything. It's just as if it could be if it could be cast aside. Then what else could just be cast aside? What us as individuals, people could just be gone. I'm hearing two things in there, Russell, um, and I just want to really be specific with you. I'm hearing two things. One is the demeaning of it. So that suggests diminishment of status. So that sounds like the or the god that's passing away is a status god. The other thing I'm hearing in there is sense of purpose. And you kind of alluded to that uh, in the front end of your of your response. So that the thing that is being the old god that's passing away is our sense of purpose. So if you had to choose between those two things, is it purpose or is it status? That is passing away. Um, I think if we had to come down to one, it, it was it was probably the status because the purpose still continued. It, you were still working in leadership development, but it meant that it was the status as being respected as a professional in what you did, as if suddenly you now that didn't matter. Uh, that's interesting. I'm glad you made that choice. You now weren't seen to be a professional in what you did. You were now just part of a broader, you know, factory farm of individuals. And that was it. You were, you, you, it didn't mean anything what you'd done before, however good your record was. I suppose it's a bit like, you know, in some ways being a, you know, a hockey player and being the, you know, the, the captain of your team. And then your team gets bought out by another franchise and you're suddenly now you're just on the fourth line. You're like, I, I used to be captain of this team last year. And it's just like, yeah, new coach doesn't like you. You're going to sit and ride the bench. And everybody around is still going, guy used to still be the captain and the people in the crowd are still saying that guy used to be the captain and the top scorer and they're like yeah the coach doesn't like him he's riding the bench and it was that sort of feeling that was that, that, that I think came across certainly for me I'm glad you chose status in a, in, a, in a way, Russell, for our readers, because I think status often gets a bad rap. Status is often looked at as ego, and if you know if you're if if you're concerned about status, then you are somehow uh, thought of as superficial, or you're thought of as being as as not being a team player. And yet, I think any listener that heard your story and would w- would share the empathy with what you as an employee went through and that caused you to put on your Viking helmet. So I think it allows allows us to reframe status as something rather, it's not just something superficial that can be set to one side and people should just get over themselves. Status is very, very important to people in an organization. And yes, it ties to sense of purpose, but it also ties to the way in which we perceive each other and the way we perceive ourselves. And when that is taken away from us, whether that's either through a diminishment of title, through this merging and acquisition like you've described, or even if it's just diminished or, 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 or taken away because, because because our, 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 uh, a piece of knowledge that we were the keeper of or, or, or an expertise that we had is no longer valued. All of those status shifts can be really difficult for employees. And I think it's worth highlighting that as something that our listeners can, can remember. Because if you can, if you can remember that status and pay it homage and treat it appropriately as you move through these transitions, you'll find a much easier time with your employees. Well, if, if I can just link back to something we were talking about a couple of podcasts ago, Ken, we were talking about figures from history. And we looked at Queen Boudicca, and I was talking about, you know, when the, you know, there she was, Queen of the Iceni, and the Romans wanted to come and go, look, no, you, you're not, you're not a self-defined ruler now. You're going, you, you know, you work for us. The, how they worked on there, and we see this repeatedly throughout history, was basically stripping away the status. Now, I'm not suggesting that her experiences were the same in mine or my colleagues, but the you know, now that you, you know. When, when she was taken out and publicly flogged in front of her tribe by the Roman officers, 
there was a reason for that. And that was to break her down for that. You're, we're taking you off from your, you know, who you think you are and showing you who we now see you are and we're showing it in front of everybody else. And I think that's where there was an you know, thing with, with our organizations where we sometimes have to be a little bit careful where we like dismantling the old way of doing things and wanting to put in new, bringing new people to replace the old, that we do that with we remembering that we still allow people to keep – a feeling of 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 dig- dignity and a feeling that they you know an acknowledgement perhaps that they had um done something good in the past and we're now okay we're going to change that but let's not forget what these people had achieved before that you know so perhaps you might have a a, a little uh a museum artifact or something that shows that represents back or somebody's pictures on the wall or something like that that just recognizes what somebody done before rather than just coming out to just sort of rip it up and throw it away um because the resentment sits there with people and it sits there years years later and that wasn't particularly serious for me or a lot of my co-workers but if if i was talking to them on here now i know that there would be four or five people who would be sitting there smiling and nodding their head and going yeah i, rem- I remember exactly what you talk and i can still feel that because it felt like it just been dis- dismantled and dis- and discarded Again, thank you for your succinct response to question number two, Russell. That was. Uh, let's move on to question number three. You see, you see, and, you've 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 lit the blue touch paper, Ken. You see, you've got to say anything <laughs> anything else an example. Don't talk about the merger of revenue and customs and customs and excise, please. I know. I know. God, God forbid this podcast should make its way to that uh, Facebook page that you identified. Oh, there. That, we'll, that, we'll, we'll that never hear the end of it. Well, that'd be fine. It would probably it'd probably boost boost our number of listeners. People will be <laughs> uh, be most in uh, most enthusiastic about it. Well, so here, here's question number three, Russell. If you could go back in time and coach your old boss on how to call you out on your behavior and how to address your behavior, what's the one piece of advice you would give to that boss of yours that came that came to you and demanding that piece of piece of uh, piece of parchment paper from you? Uh, give, give him back the captain's armband, no, <laughs> or a pay right. No, I, I think seriously, it would be uh, you know recognize what spend, spend some time finding out what's important to people and why it's important. Find out why 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 does this mean something to you? Because it didn't mean anything to him, but he never really bothered to find out why it meant something to anybody else. And I think on that, just on that one issue. And then, as as has eventually happened, yeah, you know, there was a compromise to be had that sort of suited everybody. But on the on the other issue was um, part of that was status. It was about there of we want to impose our will upon you, because the last thing we want to do is acknowledge that this smaller organisation perhaps has anything that they can come to offer. So it was, if you're going to merge two organizations together and there's a larger organization, a newer one, perhaps you want to try for perhaps something more of the best of breed approach. You know, let's look for the best that both have and let's look to use that. And don't simply go and say, right, without even looking into it, we're going to just um, remove remove what you did and replace it with, with our approach. Because if you think about this, it never goes down well. It doesn't go well down at a company level. It doesn't go well in a sports team. It doesn't go down well in a country if one country like rolls tanks over the border to someone else and says, okay, from today, you're going to be under this flag and do things our way. No one particularly typically says, oh, great, thanks very much for that. I, I like I like that. You knocked all our monuments down and now told us we have to do things differently. So um, 
accepting that they will go for more of a best of breed approach and the and, and also but sit down and find out why certain things are important to people um because you could a lot of avoid a lot of trouble if you just understood that because you could have just left that left that alone it wasn't it wasn't a hill worth worth dying over thanks for that russell you it's i think it's really interesting when you walked me through the same exercise i talked about an incident that happened relatively recently, like maybe like a a year, two years ago, that caused me to put on my Viking helmet. But in this story, you're talking about something that happened to you quite a long time ago, before you moved to Canada, while you were in a former job. How long ago was this story? If you can tell us without revealing your actual age, Russell, how long ago was this incident? Well, they they had seized me as a child to work there, which is why that was was done. But we're looking about um, 15 plus years ago. Mm. And this is still with you. And the listeners can probably hear the passion that's in your voice, even though this was something that was 15 years in the past. Right. And I think that tells us something that's really instructive. It tells us the power of the organizational culture, the power of what people are clinging to when they're putting on their Viking helmets. Now, we've used this analogy of Viking helmets because it's memorable and it's easy to remember, but it's also worth remembering that we don't mean to be diminishing the importance of these by calling it the Viking helmet. And when we use the phrase that the person who's putting on the Viking helmet is worshiping the old gods, we're also using the term old gods. We don't mean to diminish or make fun of what it is that these individuals are hanging on to so passionately. And I think we can hear that reflected in your voice and in your story, Russell. Exactly, Ken. I think one of the things is is if we we don't seek to understand it, Rather than you about too much about dress, we don't seek to understand why people are feeling the way that they are about whether it's a you know, particular, you know, whatever that old god is. The danger is it doesn't go away. All it does, it just sits beneath the surface. Um, I mean, you know, I, I subsequently left the organisation. I went on and ran my own business and have done now for over a number of years, probably the last sort of fifteen years. But I, I just, I can just leave you with one thought on this, Ken. Even if now you went and asked somebody working for the now revenue and customs, who they worked for, I'm pretty sure you would still be able to determine whether they were a former um, inland revenue employee, they were a former customs and excise employee, or they had been employed since that merger took place 15, 16 years ago. All you had to do was ask them, who do they work for? If they joined in the last 15 years, they'll say they work for revenue and customs. If they joined prior to that and had worked in the revenue, they will always say, I work for the revenue. And if they had worked for the customs service, they would always say, I work for customs. I pretty much, I would I would even lay a golden coin on that, that nobody who had worked for the previous customs and excise would say, I work for the revenue. They would make it clear by just using that descriptor to emphasize they that's who they used to work for, and that is predominantly who they identify themselves with. I'm going to take you up on that bet, Russell, and I'm hoping that the golden coin that you are laying down is from the from a Norse golden coin from those from, from those days. So. It, it's it's an effing chocolate one, Ken. You'll be oh, lucky okay. to get one of those other ones. But hey, you know what 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 more the what more could we do? But uh, um, yeah, I, I should actually uh, just see if we can get a few of those folks to have a uh, have a listen to what we were talking and see whether they'll take us up on that challenge and let you know whether you'll win that golden chocolate coin or not. I think so. I'll even, so give you, just, I'll even give you a bag of chocolate coins, Ken. 
That is a bet worth taking, Russell, for sure. So I think it's important, just just in summary, I think it's really important that our listeners remember that despite our um, using the Viking helmet and using the term old gods, this is these are not things to be made, taken lightly. These are things that are very important to the participants because you have to remember that a person who's wearing a Viking helmet is clinging to their old gods and they may not realize the old gods are already dead. They may hope that they can resuscitate their old gods, but that's what they're clinging to. And as I we did earlier in the exercise with Russell, don't mistake the trappings for the God that they're actually hanging on to. Make sure that you ask enough probing questions to get down to what it really is that they're hanging on to. And don't be distracted by the shiny pointy helmet or by the, all of the trappings that they're talking about. Try to get to the kernel of what it is that they're hanging on to. I want to thank you, Russell, for walking through this exercise with us. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And I want to invite you to try this exercise yourself at home. Go to our website, which is www.ineedtoeffingtalktoyou.com. There's a dash between the F and the I-N-G in effing. Go to our website and download these worksheets. You'll find a little tab for our worksheets and download those. Look for the worksheet that's called Evaluating Your Own Viking Helmet and run yourself through this exercise. And if it's possible, sit down and do it with somebody else because you will have observed how uh, asking probing questions of one another has really helped Russell and I. So if you can sit down with a colleague or with a coworker or with a family member and get them to ask you the questions so that you can just ruminate and think about your responses to these questions without having to to be your own probe, so to speak. Um, But thank you very much, listeners, and we look forward to you joining us again in two weeks' time. Okay, thanks very much, folks, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. 